Neither the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, I want you to think back and uh, try to bring to mind some of those tough memories where um, maybe you, you had a, a tragic event, like you failed a big exam, or uh, if maybe you had like a problem at work, or let's say um, you got into a little accident or something where you just feel a little devastated, your heart broken, um, and, and you try to manage those situations. You might, you know, come home and your heart is heavy and you're, you're not really sure how to handle it. I'm willing to bet that out of those situations, the, the best consolation that we've ever received is whenever we have a good shoulder to lean on. So almost always, the best cure for that heartbreak is a good shoulder to lean on. And not just any good shoulder, but the good shoulder of the person who went through the exact same tragedy. Because when that person can come right by your side and say, okay, I've been there. I've, I've failed at an exam before. Or I've lost my job before. I know it's tough when, when you're laid off. Or I, I had a, a breakup with a special person and it didn't work out. And I know what it's like to go through that. So whenever we can find someone who's been in our shoes that shared our pain and our sufferings, we find comfort, we find consolation. So today, the greatest news is that we have the best shoulder that we could ever confide in, the best shoulder we could lean on, is that of Christ. And that's made possible by Christ assuming our humanity, by Christ taking on our broken human nature and sharing in all our afflictions, to the extent that he experiences every heartbreak, he experiences every pain, he experiences every betrayal, all the anxieties in the world. He experiences to the extent that there's nothing missing in Christ. There isn't an experience that went past him. So regardless of whether, whether you're going through this or that, if you feel like you're the only person in the world struggling with something, you're not because Christ went through it. And that's made possible by him becoming a true human being, a man that's subject to the limitations of our flesh, a man who dealt with drama, who dealt with frustrating people, a man who dealt with a broken system, a man that had a lot of problems to deal with, and in the midst of all of those problems, he was broken too. So we could always come back and find consolation in Christ in leaning on his shoulders because we know that he walked through that very same path regardless of what it may be. Henry Nouwen says, The truly good news is that God is not a distant God, a God to be feared and avoided, a God of revenge, but a God who is moved by our pains and participates in the fullness of the human struggle. God is a compassionate God. This means, first of all, that God is a God 
who has chosen to be God with us. As soon as we call God, God with us, which is Emmanuel, we enter into a new relationship of intimacy with Him. He continues to say that by calling God Emmanuel, we recognize God's commitment to live in solidarity with us, to share our joys and pains, to defend and protect us, and to suffer all of life with us. The God with us is a close God, a God whom we call our refuge, our stronghold, our wisdom, and even more intimately, our helper, our shepherd, our love. We'll never really know God as a compassionate God if we do not understand with our heart and mind that the Word became flesh and lived among us. There's, there isn't any better news than that. That in the incarnation, we have the greatest confidant, the one who assumed the fullness of our humanity along with all its pains and afflictions. A God that is truly with us in the depths of our pains, in the depths of our problems, in the depths of our conflicts. Regardless of whether it, it may be something new to you or not, it's not strange to Christ. In the Hebrew, the word for compassion is Rahmin. This word literally means the womb, like the womb of a, like a pregnant mother. Okay? So for God to identify with our humanity, for Him to be merciful, for Him to be compassionate, in the Hebrew language it actually implies the same depth as a mother would identify and relate to her own child a child that is in her own womb. That sort of compassion. And we all know what type of compassion a mother has. Right? Once you have your own child, the extent to which you can identify with your own child cannot even be explained. I remember when my sister had her first child, Luke, and we were all in the hospital, and and I just asked her, like, what do you feel like? What's it like? She, speechless. I can't explain. This, it's out of this world. So I'm willing to bet every mother here will, will say it's exactly like that. Because whenever you have someone so close to you that you can identify with him, the mercy and compassion isn't something distant. It's something so intimate and so personal. And that's the the, the extent of God's compassion for us. The extent of God's mercy for us isn't something distant, isn't something theoretical. God doesn't just think about our problems. He experienced our problems. He experienced our problems the same way a mother would experience her own child kicking in her own womb. That's the extent to which God can identify with our humanity. In the Greek... Compassion comes from the word splankna. Okay, it's, it's a tough word to, to pronounce, but it means viscerals, like your guts. Okay, that's where this word compassion comes from when you look at it from the Greek language. So whenever you see in the gospel accounts, any of the writers say he saw the crowd and he had compassion on them, you know what that means? That deep down in his guts, He felt a little pain. He saw the people hungry. 
And it wasn't just an emotion. He saw, he saw somebody lonely. And he didn't say, oh, that's, that's rough. No, deep down inside, it hurt. His compassion was a real experience. It wasn't a thought. Like we might drive by and we see a homeless man and even if we're not fake, if we're genuinely moved, our thoughts are just emotions. How often do we actually feel pain when we see a homeless man? This is the extent of God's compassion for us because He assumed our humanity. This is the greatest news that we have someone that we can confide in in any situation, in any case, in any place, in any time. Even if you think of your best friend, okay, for, for all the wives might be thinking of your husbands and the husbands might be thinking of your wives, but you know, your, the husbands and the wives aren't always within reach. And for the wives, your husband might not really identify what you're experiencing and vice versa. Your best friend, your mom or your dad that deeply care about you. We have human limitations. You know, we can only extend a helping hand and a good shoulder to lean on so far. But for God, where does the line end? For God, where is He limited? Can God come to a certain and say like, uh, I don't know what that's like, sorry, I can't help you. We don't find that in Christ. Hebrews 2.18 tells us, For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Why? Because he doesn't think of our problems, our afflictions, our struggles, theoretically, even though God is all-knowing. What's beyond the mind of God? You know, if God never became man, He could very well say, I know exactly what you're going through. But He could never have said, I experienced what you're going through. In incarnation, the game changes. It's a game changer. Because now Christ can come, can come and say, yeah, I've been through that. I'm here for you. What are you doing running, trying to find consolation at parties, running, trying to find consolation in drinking or wasting time in your television shows or whatever, trying to get away from your problems by running away to social events or whatever, come to me. My word is here for you. My scriptures are here for you. My church is open for you. The altar is right here for my body and my blood. My arms are fixed on the cross, crucified, wide open for you. Nailed, fixed in that position, and that posture will never change. What are you running towards the world for? I'm here for you and I've experienced every single thing that you could possibly imagine. Not only that, but I've experienced it to the extent of carrying the burden of the entire world. Father Matthew the poor puts it beautifully. He references the scriptures where we find that Christ became sin. He says, He who knew no sin, God the Father made to be sin for our sake. Even when the adulterer, the licentious, he who is wallowing in the mire of impurity and the filth of shameless deeds, I say even when such a sinner evades Christ, a voice runs after him. 
It's the blood of God's Son calling out, Come, my beloved Son, your sins are with me. I've entirely borne them the day you had made them. I've paid the price. I've been put to shame. I've been scourged, crushed, crucified, and have borne the curse. I've secured you the deed of forgiveness and innocence and even obtained for you the order of merit. Come, come that I may rejoice in you as much as I have suffered for you. Come that I may crown you with the salvation and pour out my love and spirit upon you and present you to my Father. You're the most precious of my lambs and I have valued you at the price of my blood. This isn't just a voice of a distant creator, but this is the voice of someone so near to us that he can identify with us. He can truly be the greatest confidant in our life if we just open our eyes to see the mystery of the Incarnation. If we could open our eyes to see the reality of His humanity. In the early church, there was a heresy called docetism. The docetists basically said that there's no way God, the Creator, the Pantokrator, the One who is Almighty, could have become a human being. He wasn't really a human being. He must have just appeared. That's what docet comes from the, the root word to appear or to seem as a man. They couldn't believe it. That God would suffer. That God would be limited to the extent of hunger and thirst. That God would be so exhausted that on the boat he's found asleep while the disciples are full of anxiety during the storm. And they're wondering, how could you be asleep? Well, because I'm a real human being. I get tired too. He identifies with us. If you've ever been offended, you can find a true confidant in Christ. He was unjustly accused, ridiculed by the mobs. He was despised by his own. So if you've ever been offended... Is there a greater confidant than Christ? For those who have been humiliated in the past, and, and your heart so broken that you feel the pain of that sorrow and the tears, he was emptied from his heavenly glory and the majesty of his throne to assume the throne of the cross. To be crucified naked, can there be anything more humiliating? If, if I'm ever ashamed, is there a better person I can run to than the one who is shamefully humiliated on the cross? For those who are filled with anxieties, you have the stress of paying your bills, you have the stress of your exams, you have the stress of worrying about whether your kids are going to be successful. You have the stress about whether you're going to find that special person and get married because every tunt in the world is telling you it's time to get married. You know what? Christ was filled with so much anxieties that on a night in which He gave Himself up for our salvation, He was praying so fervently that He sweat blood. This wasn't just a... a 
a fanatical way to describe what happened to Christ. You know, the, the, the gospel writers didn't just want to spice it up and say, oh, he was sweating blood. No, this was a real physiological event. It's called hematidrosis. That whenever you have such extreme stress, the capillaries, basically those little small blood vessels that circulate around your sweat glands, would burst from the extent of that extreme high stress. That from your sweat glands would pour out blood. In the past, it's been recorded to have happened in people that are led to death row. Whenever they're approaching death, not just whenever you have a tough exam, not whenever you're worried about whether you're going to get into a school or you're worried about whether you're going to get a job that you just applied to, that's not the stress that Christ dealt with. He dealt with real stress. So if you're full of anxieties, what are you doing running to the world? Why would I waste my time with anything to mask the anxieties and the stress in my life when I can run to the one who bore my anxieties, who suffered and gave me peace during my stress? He is the King of Peace, and He wants me to confide in Him. That's why He became man. For those of you who have any physical pain, I used to be a physical therapist, and trust me, the moment I tell anybody I'm a physical therapist, oh, my back hurts, oh, my neck, can you help me with this? I know everybody has some sort of physical pain. Okay, We run to doctors, and of course, medicine is wonderful. I wouldn't have been a physical therapist if I didn't believe in medicine myself. But can there be a better confinement than the one that was broken on the cross? The one that was scourged? The one that was so physically abused that when they went to break the knees of the left hand and the right hand thief, they said, Khalas, he's already done. He's dead. There's no point of, of breaking his knees to, to expedite his death. That's how much he suffered. He died more quickly than they even anticipated because of the amount of blood that he lost and the amount of pain that he experienced. When I'm in pain, why run to, to anyone else? Sure, run to the doctors, but why not run to my Savior before anyone else? Why not run to my Savior before medicine? Now, the greatest of all is actually none, none of what I mentioned. It's the fact that he bore the sins of the world. And it wasn't just about dealing with the betrayals and dealing with the drama of people and dealing with the heartbreaks, dealing with the physical pain, but it's the mental anguish. If you've ever been so psychologically distressed, you know that that's more painful than anything physical. You know whenever your mind is spinning. You know whenever you have that weight on your shoulders. That's not just physical weight. Imagine Christ carrying the sins of the world. From the very first sin of Adam to the sin of the very last man that will walk upon this earth. All of that. All of that weight on his shoulders. 
and for me, for no one else, but for me and you. St. Paul, later on in Hebrews, tells us, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We don't say that he's just a distant creator who cannot sympathize with us. But I'm telling you, there isn't a single thing in Christ that was missing. And someone might come and tell me, oh, well, you know, this or that didn't happen to Christ and just fabricate some strange event or whatever. But if you look at the fullness of his life, it really does assume every possible affliction. And that's why we ought to take confidence in him. We ought to realize that he is the one that can sympathize with us. Just like those tough moments where you have a good shoulder to lean on. I want you to now rejoice in the greatest news that we have, the best shoulder to lean on. Leo the Great says, God condescended to become the form of sinful flesh. He assumed all those weaknesses of ours that come as a result of sin, though without any part in sin. Consequently, he lacked none of the afflictions due to hunger and thirst, sleep and weariness, sadness and tears. He endured grievous sorrows even to the point of death. He lacked none of the afflictions that we're going through. So, like I told you, this mystery was beyond the comprehension of so many people that in the early church, people doubted the reality of, of this mystery that God would have become man. St. Cyril says, Indeed, the mystery of Christ runs the risk of being disbelieved precisely because it's so incredibly wonderful. He knows this is hard to believe. And this is so incredibly wonderful that, you know, I understand there's a risk that you may not even believe it because it's beyond anything you can imagine. For God was in humanity. He who was above all creation was in our human condition. The invisible one was made visible in the flesh. He who was from heavens and from on high was in the likeness of earthly things. The immaterial one could be touched. He who is free in his own nature came in the form of a slave. He who blesses all creation became accursed. He who is all righteousness was numbered among the transgressors. Life itself came in the appearance of death. Life itself came in the appearance of death. So, let's not be like the docetists in the early church. I know this news is hard to believe, but we better believe it. That God took our humanity and identified with all our pains, all our afflictions, all our struggles. And now we have the greatest confidant. So this is why we celebrate. We celebrate because we thank Him for being so near to us. We thank Him for always 
being within our reach. God is so convenient. All we have to do is just turn to Him. It's not like your best friend who you got to pick up and call. Maybe they're going to pick up. Maybe they're busy. Maybe they can actually understand what you're saying. God is beyond language. What language does He not understand? Do you have to put into words how do you feel to God? Of course not. This is how convenient God became for me and you. Let us thank Him and praise Him and glorify Him for His incarnation, unto whom is due all glory forever and ever. Amen.